I'm Risa Williams, and this is the Motivation Mindset, where I talk to successful people about how they manage their time. I'm the author of three self-help books, including the Ultimate Time Management Toolkit, the Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit, and my newest book, the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, which is in stores this month. To help me celebrate the book launch of the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, I've invited speakers who specialize in self-compassion, and today joining me on the show is Dr. Taryn McCarthy. Dr. McCarthy hosts the successful podcast, The Business of Happiness. She's also a transformational speaker, and she helps hundreds of doctors and dentists reclaim their happiness. She's also an orthodontist and a busy mother of three. Today on the show, we'll be talking about awareness and how to become more aware of stress as it's rising in our bodies, how to become more aware of when we need to take breaks, and how to become more aware of things we value and how to honor them more each week. So thank you, Dr. Taryn McCarthy. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Risa. So you are a busy person. You run your own podcast, which you just taped your 213th episode, which is amazing to me. <laughs> thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. And I do just want to say, I have drawn from so many of the tools you provided in your incredible books, by the way. So I am oh, constantly so using your time management toolkit and your anxiety management toolkit. I'm so obsessed with the very, they're, the suggestions you have and the um, practices that you recommend are so good for just, especially from a visualization perspective. So I just wanted yeah. to give a shout out right back to you. That's so <laughs> Thank cool. You. Thank you so much. And I imagine you know, when you're, you're a healthcare professional, you're always on your feet, you're probably, you know, rushing around a lot of the day. So a lot of those tools, maybe having like the visual element helps us remember them as we're rushing around. Absolutely. So that's a great way to start off explaining how my day looks. And I think this day looks very similar to most medical and dental professionals, you know, getting up around 4.30 or 5, taking care of myself first. And that looks like definitely a non-negotiable meditation practice for yeah. sure that anchors my day for me. And um, and then moving my body, stretching at the very least or moving it in some form of exercise. And then I leave for work around seven after getting my kids out the door. We have a morning huddle at about 7.45 with my team. And that's setting the intention for our day getting everyone in the team on board. And then we treat patients from about eight to five. And um, very important in the middle of my day, there are several check-ins and taking a true lunch break, which I learned the hard way, Risa. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, many of us feel like it's our block of time where we get the most done is during our lunch break, yeah. which is crazy. Because you learned... finally have some peace, right? So you yeah. think, oh, I'll just cram in all this extra work. Yes. And, you know, not only is it important for me personally to stop what I'm doing and take a true break yeah. and eat, but I've actually incorporated getting outside as a non-negotiable during my lunch break as well, even if it's raining or snowing. Right. Because for me, it's just energetically getting a change of perspective, moving my body in a different environment. And then 
kind of preparing myself for the afternoon, I find that I'm so much more present and available for my patients and my team. And I end the day not feeling absolutely exhausted, which used to be the way I'd end a day is feeling completely drained and then very unavailable for my children on the way home. Right. And that's the danger as a mom is that you can push yourself to the limit. But then when you get home and your kids are coming at you with problems and questions and they need help with homework, there's nothing left to give. And so your values, which are your family and supporting your own kids, everything gets kind of wonky, you know, emotionally for us to navigate. So I like that. I like that you step outside. That's something I recommend to so many people, but it's so hard to do. It's hard to step away. It's hard to step away. And sometimes our physical location makes it difficult to step away. Um, But, you know, I'll share with you a really cool study that was done on cancer patients who were um, in recovery, who were in hospitals, so they couldn't get outside. So the study was done based on recovery and healing when we are able to get into a space that has a vista, a view, or an expanse to look at, and how healing was faster when we could do that. And in the study, they the patients couldn't get outside, but what they did was they brought images inside and they found that we could tap into those same resources of healing just with an image of a vista or an outdoor setting, like the top of a mountain or a beach scene. So interestingly, we can find that same benefit, even if we're not able to physically get there, if we can bring that visual exercise into our experience. And so, you know, I wouldn't recommend it on a screen, <laughs> on a computer screen. <laughs> maybe a poster ha- or something maybe on a the poster. wall. Yeah, yeah. So it, the, it's that powerful, right? It's that powerful that it can actually support healing. And really what's happening is we're bringing ourselves back down into the parasympathetic nervous system away right. from that fight or flight space, which is what I try to do during my lunch breaks is reset my body after being in a space of extreme focus and concentration all morning, giving myself back a little reset for the afternoon. Right, right. And as one of my tools, the stress ruler talks about in my book, which I know you read, that's all about that kind of navigating, feeling the different notches of stress as they're rising in our bodies. And it's a really subtle thing sometimes to feel the difference between a seven or eight on the scale or even a two or a three, but especially as your stress is rising to kind of catch it before that tipping point where you're so frazzled. And I know probably dentists and doctors deal with this all the time. It's very difficult as the cortisol is rising to catch that tipping point. Absolutely. And, you know, that ruler that you talk about, that specific tactic is so powerful for medical and dental professionals because for decades, we've trained ourselves to ignore those signals from our bodies. Right. Because you're in high stress crisis situations. And sometimes you have to override your own needs to get through an emergency situation. Absolutely. Very well said. So some of my clients will identify with getting to the end of the day and feeling like your bladder is going to burst. In other words, all day ignoring your body's signals that you need to pee or you (laughs) need to eat. 
you know, right. very foundational um, parts of our human existence and human experience that we override because yeah. of this extreme hyper focus, hyper vigilance, and yeah. fight or flight jumping in and overriding and listening to our bodies. And I love your ruler analogy because it helps my clients to start to learn their bodies and the signals and the awareness of their body signals all over again. Mm -hmm. And one thing I do remind them is to have some grace with it because it takes practice right. to learn the difference between stress at a two and stress at a seven. Yeah. And to pay attention to those signals, the awareness of the signals is the superpower. Right. We're so in tune to helping people that yes. it's very easy to suppress our own needs along the way. We think, oh, we have all these clients lined up or patients lined up. I just got to get through to the end of the day. And we're ignoring our own body signals and our own stress, our own yeah. mental stress. So I think just, yeah, having grace and saying, you know, this might take me some time to figure out. I know what high stress feels like, but by then it's too late. And sometimes people only think there's two modes, high stress, and then, you know, really low level stress where it's like no cares in the world. Often we're somewhere in the middle going up and down, right? And those are Absolutely. the hard notches to catch. And what I would say is you can be so much better for your patients when you have this awareness and take right. on the responsibility of your own happiness and regulating your own nervous system. That was my lived experience. When I gave myself permission to take care of myself and to pay attention to the signals from my own body, I could be in a place where I could actually do better for my patients. Right. I could be more present. I could access my intelligence to a greater degree. I found that, you know, at, at a certain point, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Risa, when that stress kicks in, you can't even access the intelligence and the compassion and the human side of it. Right. You it's like your brain freezes. It's hijacked. Yeah, ex absolutely. And, and, you know, I even hear people say in the moment, I don't, I just don't know what to do. You can't, you know what to do. And when we're living in that mode, it's very difficult for us to discern when we're there and when we're not, when we're right. living in a perpetual state of stress and overwhelm. So talk to me a little bit about these breathing breaks that you take. Is there a specific type of breathing exercise you would recommend for people? Yeah, this is my favorite thing to do. Uh, so I incorporated this in my practice every single day because what I found was just meditating in the morning and then like a gratitude practice at night. There were 15 hours in between when I could get myself really stressed out. Yeah, easily. Even easily. in 15 minutes, we can get ourselves stressed oh, out. Oh, yeah. So I actually put um, alarms on my phone. Oh, and wow. they're just subtle. You know, they don't pull me away from my work. I, in fact, before I did the phone, I did sticky notes because I didn't want to interrupt my patient care. And I literally take three to five deep breath, breathing in for a count of seven, holding it for a count of eight, and then breathing out for a count of nine. So seven, eight, nine, we can do, there's so many different breath practices. That's one I like. Yeah. Um, I like to do that pattern because I can do it behind a mask. My patients don't know what I'm doing. I can do it in the middle of a procedure 
And if I do three rounds of that, I calm my nervous system down. And, you know, even after years of practicing awareness of those signals, when I am in a place of stress or anxiety, I still miss it. And that's why I like having these breathing breaks because they'll alert me to awareness that I'm in a place of, you know, like a high cortisol storm or just multitasking, you know, that, that feeling right. of a little bit of a high when you're checking off all the boxes. So I use, I do about four to five breathing breaks a day where I, in the middle of a procedure can pause and breathe and remind myself that nothing is that urgent. Right. Give myself a little pause to realize that I'm safe. Nothing's that urgent and everything is under control. What I love about what you're saying is when we take those deep breaths, especially if we're counting in our head, because that kind of quiets the mind chatter instead of just the racing thoughts while we're breathing, it's almost like we can slow time down in that moment. And that brain freeze and overwhelm, it seems to dissipate a little bit because we're stretching time in that moment. So it's an easy way to make it seem like time is racing less. And like you said, we're going back home to our bodies. We're feeling what's inside of us, you know, what's stirred up. And when you're taking deep breaths, sometimes that's when you notice, oh, my heart is really racing or my shoulders are really tense or what am I doing with my neck? You know, these types of things. Or even what was I just thinking? You know, sometimes those thoughts race so quickly, we don't even catch them and the disempowering feeling that might follow. So even just taking a moment to think, what was I just thinking? And sometimes you'll catch yourself in kind of that negative self-talk yeah. <laughs> that isn't serving anybody. And it's another opportunity for a check-in. Right, exactly. So you had another tool that was so interesting when we were talking before called the glass elevator technique. And what I like about it, not only the name makes me think of Willy Wonka, <laughs> but Also, so many people who have been on the show have similar techniques where it's like a perspective taking tool and they call it different things. Someone else called it helicopter view, but I like glass elevator where it's like you're floating above things. Absolutely. And it reminded me of your rack focus technique right? right. in your first book. Um, But yes, that's exactly it. What I like about the glass elevator. So the, the way that the glass elevator works is you imagine yourself in a glass elevator on the lowest floor, (laughs) down in the dumps. So I equate it to an emotional setting as well. Kind of when you're feeling really low or stressed or disempowered in some way, and you really need a new perspective. So it's sort of like lost in the weeds type of feeling in the sludge. (laughs) In the sludge on the low level. And so the glass elevator really adds a little bit of levity, which I know you speak about in your books as well, is Mm -hmm. imagining pressing a button and then floating up into the universe. You know, there's a little bit of fun in doing that. There's a little bit of silliness, that glass elevator kind of the Willy Wonka idea is not, is not a, um, a mistake. That's an, that's a connection to it on purpose. Cause there's a little bit of levity and fun and silliness in that. So I imagine this really crazy elevator going up and as you float up to a higher and higher, you know, 60,000 feet, your perspective now changes, not just in space, 
but in time. So we're bringing, mm-hmm. talking about time bending again, you and I. Yeah. And now I can see the situation, not just in terms of a new perspective positionally, but in terms of time. So for example, we were talking about our teenage teenagers. Right. And trust me, my 15 year old has taxed me recently <laughs> and I can get into a place of feeling very frustrated about this conversation or even our relationship. And if I take that elevator up, I can see this is just a moment in time that he Mm -hmm. won't be 15 forever. Right. It's such a short period, you know, such a short period that he came maybe from a day at school where kids were being mean, just being 15. And maybe he's now in this space in my home where he can let loose and kind of share his emotions and maybe I'm a safe place for him. And then I can see that tomorrow things will be different and he's learning some tools today. My perspective changes my relationship to this present moment. And I love having the glass elevator as a resource because it also feels like a little cocoon for me, kind of like a safety zone for me, a protection for me. So I like that idea of having a space that's all my own that I can kind of escape out of and just get a new perspective. You know, in your rack, um, uh, your rack focus idea, you said even pulling outside of the earth, you know, seeing a greater perspective that these little minute things are not so important in this moment in time and that we really can give ourselves a little bit more grace. Right. And sometimes that's when we connect with our sense of humor again. You were so supportive of my last book, The Ultimate Time Management Toolkit. You even wrote an endorsement, which I really genuinely appreciate. And you said what you took away from it was a tool I called the frustration surfboard, which is kind of a funny name. But it's the idea that we need to visualize surfing our way through intense feelings. So often intense feelings hit us and they feel so real. And like you said, we get zoomed in on them and Mm. it's hard to separate the feeling from a fact. So this is one way of getting some distance and thinking like a surfboard, I'm going to ride the wave of emotion. It's going to have a crest that feels really bad. And then eventually it'll subside. And that kind of ties into your breathing techniques as well. I imagine. Yes. And I also like that. What I love about your surfboard analogy is that from a perspective of happiness is that it's not always going to be the best day, right? It's not always going to be that everything lines up. And this idea of having agility, like a surfer on a surfboard allows us not only to ride those waves of emotion, but to ride events that happen outside of our control. And and I know another one that you um, had mentioned in the book that I really loved is the calm center rock, which kind of plays into that as well, where you can imagine waves kind of crashing on your rock, but your rock is the calm center. And I like both of those, that stability of the rock, but then also the surfer analogy of being able to kind of ride these waves as they come at us during life. And I like that you actually carry around a rock, like as a grounding technique. Absolutely. It's a neuro-linguistic programming technique that I learned years ago. And what I actually do, so I pick a crystal. I like crystals because I I don't know anything. I couldn't tell you what this one is that I'm holding up right now. It's It's very pretty and green. Thank you. I love the color of it. That's all I can tell you about it. And I'm sure one day I picked it out because of the meaning it, it, it's is associated with it. But 
you know, what I'll do is I will kind of create feeling that I'm feeling. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll even practice. So in, in the business of dentistry, something that might be a challenge is confidence. So I'll put myself in a space where I'm really visualizing being confident, picturing myself at work, confident, reminding myself my patients feel safe when I'm confident and they're in secure hands. And then I'll do so getting into that energetic feeling and visualization with the rock in my hand. So I'm almost imprinting that feeling on the rock. And then when I go back into work and I'm feeling insecure or stressed or fearful, having that crystal in my pocket, just reaching for it and touching it can actually bring me right back to that space, that feeling that I had intentionally imprinted on it prior to, to the event. And the more I practice it, the stronger the association becomes. So just the texture and the feeling, the shape and the weight in my hand can bring me right back to that feeling that I'm choosing, which is amazing that we have this ability as human beings. We're so much more powerful than we realize that we can choose to override those anxiety-driven emotions with something that's more stable and empowering. And and using something like like a crystal or a rock in your pocket is a great way to do it without anybody even noticing. Right. And it's like creating a symbolic axis pathway in our brains. It's like creating a portal in your brains to go back to the emotion you want to feel, which can be hard when you're in a freaked out state. It can be hard to remember what what is calm, what is confidence, what does any of that feel like? So in a way, you're creating like a touchstone, a literal touchstone to anchor yourself back to that calmness again. So before we end this, I love all your advice. I can talk to you for hours about all these things, but I know you are an expert in cultivating happiness, which is something I really try to practice as well. And you've talked to so many experts about how do we find happiness? What does happiness mean? So if you could just give me the top three tips in your own life that you found about looking for the positive or really zooming in on the happy feelings and happy emotions. I think it's a lot about what you were talking, we were talking about during this conversation, and that is the awareness mm-hmm. of your own body and your own self. And when I say awareness, I guess in this context, I'm talking about awareness of what even brings you joy and happiness. And that's hard for busy people. Absolutely. And I think we tell ourselves what should bring us happiness. So a lot of times I'll have people just parrot. If I say what, what brings you happiness, they'll say family, because that's what we're expected to say. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, sometimes our family can be the biggest source of stress for us. (laughs) Right. So So it's like getting specific. What parts mm -hmm. of being with your family do you like? What are those little moments that are fun where you're watching a movie together, going on a walk together or something like this? Mm -hmm. And why is it important to you? You know, when you can come to that understanding, not just family, but what is it about family? So becoming specific in your mind of what you value and what that really takes is getting quiet. So once again, I do attribute 
happiness in my life to my meditation practice because it's taught me how to silence the noises or not to stop them all together, but to allow them like that calm center rock that the thoughts will keep flowing through like waves, yeah. but allowing yourself some opportunity to learn how to cultivate silence and to be present with yourself and to allow the noise to dissipate a little bit so that you can ask yourself those questions like, what does bring me happiness? What does happiness look like to me? And then having the courage to reach for those things. Right. And, and that's sort of a way of showing yourself compassion and mm-hmm. kindness. And even the silence you're speaking of is a way of getting to know yourself and befriend yourself and think I'm okay being here with myself in this moment, kind of understanding who I am now. Absolutely. And the other thing, just to bring it full circle, is that in those silent moments, we actually have the opportunity to practice that expansion of time. Yeah. And when we do so, we realize that urgency is just a a fallacy, really. It's just a construct when we imagine that things are very urgent or need our attention or decision making immediately. That adds to our anxiety. So when we give ourselves that practice of meditation, it allows us to see that time can be seen instead of in a very linear fashion, but in in a more expansive fashion. And it's completely related to how we're emotionally experiencing time. So like you said, the more you calm yourself down, the more time you seem to create for yourself. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's always so much fun to talk to you. I feel like we covered so many profound and wonderful (laughs) things that will help people. I really always enjoy and appreciate your input. Thank you, Risa. To learn more about tools discussed on this episode, please visit theultimatetoolkitbooks.com and be sure to pick up a copy of my newest book, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, 25 Tools to Boost Confidence, Achieve Goals, and Find Happiness. To learn more about upcoming episodes, please visit risawilliams.com and click on podcast. Here you can see future interviews, time lab episodes, and brain boost segments. You can also join the Motivation Mindset Plus community. For a few dollars a month, you can receive special access to bonus episodes that will really help you tune up your daily mindset. I'm Risa Williams, and we're out of time. Thanks for listening.